Let me tell you a story. Back, um, golly, it's been almost 30 years ago, I, I was uh, serving my first church, and I was going to school at night, and I was still working full-time in the, the radio business. And, and it got to the point, as, as I was kind of in the management part of that as, a, as the program director, it came to a point that I was feeling compromised by the things that I had to do to be a successful radio programmer in light of also uh, what I hoped to be as a pastor. Uh, those two lines were uh, diverging, not converging. And it got to the point where I could no longer do that. Uh, the church I served was very small. I made a lot of more money as a, as a program director than I would have as a DJ. But I realized, you know, it's time to make a change. So I went to the district superintendent and I said, do you think it would be possible to find a, a, maybe a little larger church for me to serve that paid a little more of a salary so that I can change jobs? I just can't do this anymore. And she said, well, there may be something coming up. Let me look at that. It was around appointment time. And then I went to uh, our people at the radio station and I told them all along, you know, I'm in school, I'm going to be a pastor. Eventually I'm going to be leaving to... Uh, to go to seminary, so anything you need to do to, to secure the future of the radio station, you need me to back away, you need me to leave, I understand it's fine, it's, it's absolutely fine. This is all part of, of my plan. And uh, so uh, they took that into consideration. And so one morning, it was a Tuesday morning in late March, I don't remember the exact date, but I remember it was a Tuesday. And I, uh, I got a call from the district superintendent at 9 o'clock that morning. And she said, Larry, we have this church that's opened up over outside of Lenore City. It's called Martell. And, you're, and the salary there, I think it was uh, $15,000. I was making like $3,500 a year at my first church. But it paid for my tuition at Tusculum College, so it was perfect. I didn't have to come out of the household expenses for that. But she said, I think it pays about fifteen, sixteen thousand. Would that help? And I said, oh, yeah. So I thought, now I need to go and ask around town and see if I can just find a job, maybe a smaller radio station, just be a DJ, make another 15000 or so, and, and I'll be able to, we'll be able to get by. So that was at 9 o'clock in the morning. At 1 o'clock that afternoon, I got a call from the corporate program director of JCOR Communications that owned our radio station. And he called and he said, Larry, I'm, I just got to the airport. Are you at the station? And I said, yes. He said, I, I've, I need to talk to you. Well, I knew why, why I was calling. And so I thought, okay, this is interesting. Uh, this is happening on the same day. So he came in and I sat down with him. And he said, we have found who we think is the program director for the future of our radio station. We appreciate everything you've done. And I said, well, I appreciate you working with me. It's been great. And he said, but we really would like for you to stay on as just, as just a, a DJ, an air personality. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to, to come to any meetings or be the face of anything. Just, just do an air shift, four hours a day, a little bit of production. And now we can't pay you what we're paying you now, but we can pay you 30000 and I started laughing. And he didn't understand why I was laughing. And I, I said, he said, Is, am I missing something here? And I said, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you are. I just kept thinking, God, are you kidding me? Uh, so, so 
I did, and, and it was incredible. I got to work another year, finished my undergraduate degree at Tusculum, and then was able to make this clean break and then go on to seminary. Um, and, and it, but it was this, it was this amazing, I mean, those two things, I promise you, hap, happened very independent of each other. I uh, guarantee you the corporate programming uh, vice president of JCOR Communications was not talking with my district superintendent. I mean, this just all happened within four hours of each other, and it was perfect. Now, I tell you that story for this reason. I could, I could have launched into... I could have launched into a talk about the omniscience and omnipotence of God. I found from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, I could have told you that omniscience is the property of having complete or maximal knowledge. Along with omnipotence and perfect goodness, it's usually taken to be one of the central divine attributes. One source of the attribution of omniscience to God derives from the numerous biblical passages that ascribe vast knowledge to him. I could have just started with that, about how God knows everything and about how God has the power to do all sorts of things. Or, or I, could have, I could have started with a talk about the will of God and I could have referenced Leslie Weatherhead's great book by that same phrase, the will of God. We could have talked about God's intentional and circumstantial and ultimate will and we could have drug out lots of big theological words. I could have I could have done that. We could have talked about, we could have talked about Calvin, John Calvin versus Jacob Arminius. We are Arminians, not, not ethnically, but Arminians in that John Wesley was a follower of Jacobus Arminius. And, and he was a proponent of free will where Calvin talked about predestination and everything is figured out by God. We could have had that discussion this morning. And I expect that your eyes would have glazed over, as mine probably would, in the, con- in, in the process of just making that speech. But I didn't. I told you a story that said the same thing. Why? Because a story is a Trojan horse for the truth. We all know the story about the Trojan horse and how the soldiers came in inside the big horse that they rolled into the fortress and then invaded and, and that's what a story is. A story is a Trojan horse for the truth. I could have done all of those things. I could have just launched into this incredibly boring forensic discussion of how God is a part of our life, but I didn't. I told you a story. Because if I tell you a story, then if I have any credibility with you all, then, then you have to consider it's true. And, and, you know, if someone tells me, well, you know, think, you know, I think God sometimes works behind the scenes to make things happen in our lives. I, I, can, I would tell you to your face if you told me that, that I don't understand how that works. But I know for a fact that on that Tuesday in late March, that happened. Coincidence? I've seen too many since then. <laughs> I don't think it is. A story is a Trojan horse for the truth. Jesus was a master at taking truth and embedding it in a story. You know, maybe one of the best examples was his story of the Good Samaritan. Because here's Jesus in a synagogue talking to Jewish people who hate who? They hate Samaritans. So what does he do? He just 
He just makes up this story about a man traveling and about how he was beaten by robbers and thrown into a ditch for dead. And two different orders of priests, Jewish priests, walked by on the other side of the road because they didn't want to become ceremonially unclean in case they got some of his blood on them. And he was a Jewish man. But this Samaritan comes walking by. The hated Samaritans, the Samaritan comes by, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, gives him an imprint of his credit card, says anything this man needs, do for him, and I will come back and check on him in a week or so. If Jesus, if Jesus had started that talk with, now you all need to know that Samaritans are just as good as you are and you need to be nice to Samaritans, they would have left. But what he did was tell a story that, that the point of the story was an answer to the question by a, a Jewish lawyer who had challenged Jesus, who is my neighbor. You know, the, 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 Jesus said, what, what do you think you should do? How do you enter eternal life? Well, love, love the, guard, uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. And Jesus patted him on the head and said, good boy. And then the, and the guy said, but, but, but. And he feeling like he wanted to trick Jesus, but who's my neighbor? And in answer to the question of who his neighbor was, Jesus told that story. And in doing so, he slipped a Trojan horse full of truth right past the barriers that Jewish people had put up about Samaritan people. And suddenly, before they knew it, they're, they're, all, they're feeling good about this Samaritan guy. Well, he helped him. And then it was like, you could almost hear Jesus at the end of the story going, gotcha. <laughs> and, and the truth came in the Trojan horse. That was the story. Stories are so powerful. And as we think about continuing this quest of turning the world upside down, following in the footsteps of the early church that we're studying about now and watching in, in, in this uh, sermon series, Turning the World Upside Down. Today we want to talk for just a minute about how a story can absolutely turn someone's world upside down. <clears throat> Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan turned their world upside down for sure. Now, a lot of people didn't understand it, but, but some did. And I think, it was the, <clears throat> I think it was kind of the collection of all these stories that Jesus told along the way, and that was just one of many. He was a master at being able to just take everyday life and turn it into a parable. A parable is just a little story that has a nugget of truth in it. But that often, often it, that truth came in this Trojan horse of this parable or story. And before people knew it, he had, he had turned their world upside down. And, and we can do that too. And we're called to do that. Here is why that is so important for us to embrace, to, to learn how to and to appreciate the importance of telling our story to others. is because it's our responsibility. What was the last thing Jesus told the disciples before he went to heaven? Go and make disciples. You have to go. And that whole disciple-making process begins by telling them about Jesus. And he said, I want you to go everywhere. Go to the ends of the earth to do it. And he didn't say this, but the example that he left for them on how to share his love with others was by telling stories. And our goal, our, 
Our goal here, our mission at Concord United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. And we say that in a unique way. We have our own way of describing that. We say we're going to share Christ, serve others, and grow in faith. And those three things that we do, wash, rinse, repeat, one after the other, not necessarily in linear fashion, but constantly doing those three things, that's the way we go about making disciples in this community. And guess what? It works. It's worked for years. This church has always made disciples. They haven't used that terminology, but it always has. And the, and the number one way to introduce people to Jesus Christ is by sharing your life with someone else. Most of us are really comfortable with serving others. I mean, this church does that really, really well. And our missional footprint just keeps growing and keeps growing. It's grown to Ecuador and it's grown to Africa and it's grown in Guatemala and it's gone in all sorts of other places. It's gone into East Knoxville. It's gone into Loudoun County. It's gone into North Carolina. I mean, you know, we could spend all day talking about where our missional footprint goes because we embrace serving others. We can do that. We don't feel so intimidated by that. Growing in faith is another huge piece, too, that we're doing more and more of, and, and, and we're doing that better and better. Pastor Brooke is doing a great job of helping us develop this pathway for discipleship that includes growing in faith and learning more and more. I'm going to talk more about it in just a minute. The piece that's difficult, it's hard for me and it's hard for many people, is the sharing Christ. We're intimidated by that. And we think that the only way we can effectively share Christ is to knock on somebody's door. And when they answer, ask them, if you died tonight, where would you wake up? You know, and hope that that starts a conversation about Jesus Christ, probably get the door slammed in your face. Probably someone would say, you know what, you want to help me come and give my kid a bath while I make dinner for the others. Probably. But but there's a much better way. Jesus never did that. Jesus told stories. That's how he shared the kingdom with others. And that's how we should do it. Because think about this. Your life story is a statement about God's grace that can't be heard anywhere else. There is not a book anyone can read, not a podcast they can listen to, not a DVD that they can view. There is nowhere else anyone can go to hear your story, the story of your life, than from you and you sharing it. And yours is utterly unique and may unlock a vista into the kingdom that someone else would not be able to find anywhere else. It's happened to me. I'll bet it's happened to you. I'll bet friends have told you stories from their life before that caused you to go, wow, I didn't think of that. That's incredible. That's amazing. And then you start trying to find your place in that story as well. And that's the way the gospel is most effectively transmitted from one person to another. We tell those stories. Stories are crucial to leaving our legacy behind. We talked about our reputation last week. I loved it. They don't use it anymore, but, but Subaru <clears throat> years ago as their slogan, and they've had, I think their latest one is love is what makes Subaru a Subaru. I never understood that, but maybe it does. But my favorite was the one before that, I think, that said it's simply at the end of every Subaru commercial, there was a little tagline that said, 
tell better stories. And I love that. If you drive a Subaru, the implication is if you drive a Subaru, you're going to have more life adventures and you will be able to tell better stories. That's what we need to do as followers of Jesus Christ, tell better stories. But I would submit that even better than driving a Subaru or anything else, following Jesus Christ, following in his footsteps, doing what he would do, going where he would go, saying what he would say, loving who he would love, that will allow us to tell better stories. Now, let's talk about Paul. Paul was really good at this too. Paul, the apostle Paul, was, was brilliant. He was a brilliant man. He was a learned man. He was a very smart Jewish man. That's how he got to be a Pharisee. He knew the law backwards and forwards. And, but Paul was also a really good storyteller. And, and that's what I want to read this morning in, uh, in just a second. I want to set it up. Paul, this is in the book of Acts in, in chapter 22. Starts a little earlier than that, but, but Paul has made his way back to Jerusalem. All the people have said, don't go back there, Paul. They're out for you. And Paul's like, no, I have to go back there. He had been planting churches for Gentiles, but he wanted to get back and talk to his people. And sure enough, <clears throat> he got into Jerusalem and the Jewish community there, actually not all of them, but the Jewish leadership, they wanted to get rid of him. So they riled up a crowd of people and trumped up this charge that he had brought some Gentile man into the temple and defiled it. And so they're, they're, beating, they're about to beat Paul to death. And that's, that's what sets this whole thing up. And a Roman commander sees this happening. Uh, who, of course, Rome is still in charge of Jerusalem. And Roman commanders have one job. You know, you got one job, and that's keep the peace. And so it doesn't matter what's causing the disturbance, a Roman commander is going to stop it. So he steps in, he sees what's going on, he has Paul put in chains, they take him to jail, they calm everybody down, and Paul says, could I, could, hey, would you mind, could I just have a minute to talk to these people? I still have something I'd like to say to them. So the commander allows it, and that's where we step in. Paul is speaking, and I just want, I'm not going to put the words up on the screen, I'm just going to read this like a story, because that's how I want you to hear it. Because that's how Paul delivered it. Paul has this chance now, Roman irons on his hands and legs. He has this chance to talk about Jesus to these people who were trying to kill him. Here's what he said. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel, and I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as many of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Remember, these people, he's speaking about new followers of Jesus. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. I asked. 
Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand to Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. These are the words he spoke to the people who had just minutes before been trying to kill him. He told them a story. He could, he could have gone back and quoted prophets that pointed toward the Messiah. He could have used, and he has done that. He's good at that. If you read Romans, he's very smart and really good at making a logical argument. And he could have done that. But he wasn't writing a letter to be read then by someone else to lots of people. He was speaking one to one with people who were even his enemies at that point. And he told them the story. Instead of describing all that, he described who Jesus was in his story. This compassionate Messiah who fit every detail that the Messiah should include to be, to be received by them as the Messiah. And he had, in fact, come into Paul's life and had spoken to him and changed it forever. Paul spoke not out of his knowledge of the Bible, he spoke out of his encounter with Jesus, but it was his knowledge of Scripture that allowed him to recognize that and tell that incredible story. And everywhere Paul went, people were saved. That's because his story, your story, is part of the history of his story. Just as much as Paul's, just as much as Peter's, or Mark, or James, or Mary, or any of the others, your story is part of the history of his story. And the more we know about his story, the more effectively we can tell ours. And this sounds like a segue into a shameless plug, but let me tell you, it is. We have a new reading plan coming out this summer, and it's, uh, and it's based on our new sermon series called Surprised by God. And if anybody could say that with integrity, it was Paul. You know, Jesus, Jesus blinds him in the middle of the road and says, Paul, I need you to not only stop persecuting my people, I need you to lead them and be the chief proponent of my love and salvation for all humankind. And so he did. He was surprised by God. And we're going to hear those stories and we're going to learn so much. And the more that, the, it's just like it was with Paul. All of that knowledge he had became the context of the stories that he told. And it shaped his stories and it allowed him to be sure that when he unloaded that Trojan horse in somebody's heart, there was in fact truth in there and not somebody's opinion. And so that's why 
this summer reading series is so important for all of us, and I'll be following it, and you can, you can download them uh, right to your phone or your tablet, your computer or whatever, or you can pick up a hard copy over here at the Information Center if you want to do it that way. And it has a list of the readings. They all expand on what you'll hear on Sunday, just like we've been doing. But this is so crucial, and it's such a part of what led me to, to that day whenever that story happened, and, and, in, and in within four hours, God just did all sorts of stuff that I still can't believe he did. Well, I can because he keeps doing it. But if I hadn't started in disciple Bible study several years before that and had that context, I wouldn't have understood it. But I understand what he's doing. And to see that it makes perfect sense. Sometimes it's hard to see that. But if we have the context, it isn't. And then others then can see it in our stories as well. And here's the last thing I want to say, and then we'll be done. Don't ever second guess or underestimate the power you have to impact somebody with a simple story. Two Wednesdays ago, I was with my Kids Hope student. My Kids Hope student this year was a little first grader. It's the first kid I've had that was quite that young. And he's just this precious little guy with a heart about this big, smart as a whip. But he's had a, he's had a tough time at home. Um, he'd just gone, his, his parents had just gone through a divorce at the beginning of the school year, which is why his teacher wanted him to have a mentor, thought he might need somebody just to kind of be there for him because he was losing that male presence in his life on a regular basis. And then things just went from bad to worse, and uh, his mom had a boyfriend, and they were living with the boyfriend, and the boyfriend kicked him out. And two Wednesdays ago, uh, his teacher told me that he's living in a, some motel somewhere with his mom, and he, doesn't, he can't feel his feet. He's so disoriented. So... So when we had our meeting, I picked him up from class, and, and we had our meeting together. And he loves to draw. He loves to do all sorts of things, pick up sticks. It's amazing how even with all this digital technology, you can't beat the old school stuff. Pick up sticks, put together a puzzle. But he, wants, he likes to draw. So we were going to draw. And he said, what are you going to draw, Larry? And I said, oh, no. So I was trying to think. I only know how to draw about four things. And I'd drawn a helicopter three times for him. I'm pretty good at drawing a helicopter. But I'll show you sometime. But I thought I'll draw a tractor. So I was drawing. He was drawing. He had this incredible drawing of a building and a, a wrecking ball. I thought it was kind of interesting. He drew this picture of a big building and a wrecking ball smashing it. It's amazing what you can see if you read between the lines. So I drew this tractor, and I put my grandpa on the tractor. And he said, what you drawing? I said, it's a John Deere tractor. And I told him a story. I've told it in here about how when I was little, my mom stopped at the side of the road where my grandpa was plowing. And he let me sit in his lap on the John Deere tractor. And he said, all right, hound dog. They, they called me hound dog. I've told that story, too. Because I could sing, apparently, I would sing You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog on demand to all of my relatives when I was about this tall. So, okay, hound dog, you, you're driving. So I had that big old tractor wheel and I'm driving. You know, I didn't understand that he could steer with the differential braking. But, but it didn't matter. I was driving that tractor and I've never forgotten that I can still smell the exhaust blowing back in my face and feel myself sitting in his lap driving that tractor. And so I told him that story and he was absolutely all in. And I even drew a little silo in the back. 
So the next week, this was, was actually three Wednesdays ago, Wednesday before that, then two Wednesdays ago, we, we were back together. Let's draw some. Okay. So we started drawing, and I was drawing a guitar, one of the only other four things I know how to draw. So I was kind of drawing a guitar, and I looked over. He's drawing a tractor, a green John Deere tractor. And I let him draw a little more, and there was a, a, he drew a figure driving the tractor. And he drew a silo. And of course, I'm over there going, he's like, what's the matter, Larry? And I'm like, oh, it's something in my eye. I'm sorry. <laughs> I said, what is that? Is that a tractor? Yeah, it's a tractor. I said, who's driving? Me. He remembered my story. And then he found his place in it. And it became his story. It's that simple. Just a simple story. But the impact it makes on others is beyond estimation. I already missed the little guy. I won't see him anymore. The, our, our time is done. And I don't know if I'll be in his heart, but I promise you he's in mine. But you just leave a little piece of yourself behind by telling stories. And let God Make the rest of the connections. Because I assure you, God will. Share your story. Your story can help someone else write their story for God's glory. Share your story. Learn about this bigger story that God has written you into because he loves you. And then just share that. It'll turn some little corner of the world upside down. I promise. Let's pray. Almighty God, how we thank you for your love that just turns us upside down every day. Your love, oh God, that comes into our life and says, you know what? You are something. And I have stories I want you to hear as you rewrite your story as my child. Oh God, what love, what compassion. Thank you, Lord. Help us. Help us, O oh God, to learn all we can about your great story of love so that we can share our story, that someone else can find themselves in your story for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.